honor to my big brother, Bishop Lyons. Amen, amen. Lady Lyons, so glad to be invited to be with my family. We're going to get to the word of God, which is in Jonah chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 17. As you're picking up your Bibles, I pray that you would stand on your feet in honor of the reading of the word of the Lord. We don't honor his word like we used to. So we're going to make a stance of honor by simply standing and reading his word. As you saw previously, the title that we're going to talk about today is God is pursuing me. Ladies, do you remember what it was like to be pursued by someone who loved you? I, I can't help but think about my husband as I'm about to read this scripture. Because I did not believe it was possible for a human being to love me the way that he loved me. I acted a plum fool when he first met me. Tell the truth, shame the devil. I did everything I could to see, is he going to hit me too? I talked crazy to see if he would leave me. And he kept pursuing me. And in his pursuit of me, he drew me to God. Because I knew that if he could possibly love me like this, that God had to send him. So God has to love me. God pursued me through my husband pursuing me. And so today I submit to you, God is pursuing you. Say that before we even get started. Say, God is pursuing me. The word of the Lord reads, Now the Lord hath prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We're about to pray, but keep them Bibles open. Father, we thank you. We bless you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for this word. Lord, you know I could preach this word every single day of the year. This is a word for your people to heed your instruction, to not wait till tomorrow, but to do it now. This is a word for every man, woman, boy, and girl who was on the fence about following you. Lord, I pray that you would make our hearts, spirits, and ears attentive to hear what the Spirit is saying unto the church. We thank you, O oh God, for the relevancy of this word, for the criticalness of this word. We thank you, O oh God, for the urgency of this word. So let us hear. Remove every distraction from around us and inside of us. Help us, oh God, to be focused on what thus saith the Lord. We need this word not just for this season, but those around us need this word. And our listening and following will depend upon what happens next even in their life. Oh God, so ready us now. Ready our hearts, ready our minds. Ready us to hear what the Spirit is saying unto the church. Those who have an ear, let them hear. Who have an ear, let them hear. We hear you now, God. And we give you thanks in advance for what you are about to do. Come on, shout in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Where's Layla? I'm going to try to behave. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Layla, I'm going to try to behave wherever you at in this house. <laughs> Little Layla. There she is. All right. We're going to try to behave, Layla. I, I love, absolutely love scripture. And what we just read is what we heard growing up in Sunday school, right? Jonah and the well, Noah and the ark. Y'all remember that song? And, and we heard this in regard to the miracle that God had done in preparing a great fish. But rarely did we think about it in the sense of God was preparing something because he was in hot pursuit of us. We did not think about the grace and the mercy attached to the great fish. We, we talked about the miracle and not realizing what was attached to this. This is what the Lord tells Jonah. 
He says in verse 1, I told you I'll keep your Bibles open. He says at the very beginning of this chapter, he says, hear me, Jonah. He says, arise, go to Nineveh, cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And yet instead, Jonah enters a ship, he pays the fare, and he hightails it out of there. He goes to Tarshish and away from the presence of the Lord. Now, what makes this book so special to me is that it's not like other prophetical books. When you look at other prophetical books, you see the prophets discussing how God used them mightily. You see the prophets discussing all the cool things that they did, how, how they called things and it happened, right? You, you see the prophets in obedience, no matter what it took, the prophets being beaten, the prophets being killed, and they did what God told them to do in spite of. And yet when you pick up the book of Jonah, you see a hard-headed preacher. You see somebody who refuses to do the will of the Lord, and it's almost as if God has inspired this prophet to tell on himself. Kind of like David, right? How God inspires him, and we don't like to do that. Even when we post stuff, rarely do we post things or tell things to other people that has to do with the bad side of us, you know. Even when we take a picture, I was taking a picture the other day, and, and <laughs> I, I took the picture, and then my brother came to me, and my brother said, do you like this? And I said, no, I don't like that one. That one make me look too big. Let, let me And no matter which way I turned, ladies, I was big. I said, well, I'm just big. <laughs> and we only like to show the good side of us, right? And yet God sometimes inspires us to tell the things about us that are ugly, the, the stuff about us that is unattractive, the, the stuff about us that shows our humanity, the stuff about us that shows that we, baby, we still a work in progress. And this is what the Lord does with Jonah. This particular book focuses is on the character of the prophet and it is for the purpose of letting us know what happens when we attempt to leave the will of God. Sometimes we are so concerned with the anointing of a preacher, the deliverance style of a preacher, the voice of the preacher, that we could care less about the character of the preacher. We could care less about how the apostles treating their wife. We could care less about how the bishop is treating their members. We, we could care less about them sleeping around with everything that's walking. It don't matter as long as you got a word from the Lord. But God says, I care about your character. So I'm going to allow you to be honest about your character. As a matter of fact, I'm going to, this is the inspired word of God. I'm going to inspire you to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help you God the prophet writes about what many of us are fighting with which is doing the will of God we'll do a work for God but we won't do what God tells us to do we'll stay real busy but we busy with stuff that God ain't never told us to do we busy with church stuff, but we're not busy in his will. And as long as we're doing stuff that we want to do, we're comfortable. But when God gives us a specific, where my ladies at, y'all better talk back to me. When God gives us something specific to do, all of a sudden, okay, let me make it plain because y'all ain't feeling me right now. You know, we hate doing that laundry. We can even put it in the washer. We can transfer it to the dryer. But baby, when I got to fold that jokers up and I got to put them in the drawer, I will look at it, let it become a piece of furniture and walk on. Why? Because this is something I need to do, but I don't want to do. And for some of us, that's what the will of God is for our life right now. We're allowing it to sit like a heap of laundry that is supposed to be folded and put away. And we're looking at what God told us to do. And I don't want to do that right now. So we move on to something else. Baby, God sees your laundry. He sees your laundry. He sees how long it's been sitting. It's been sitting so long that it needs to be washed again. God says, I see that. I see that it's time for you to fold that. It's time for you to put that away. 
He's fighting against the will of God. The Bible says the word of the Lord came to Jonah, telling him to preach to the Assyrians who are a wicked people. And Jonah immediately made up in his mind, I ain't finna do that. Mm-mm, nah, that ain't, ain't happening, partner. I'm not doing that. He legit did. He said, I'm not doing that. Now, Jonah is considered to be a type of Christ in that he was called to do something that Christ was called to do. Jonah was called to preach to a sinful and wicked people and bring them to repentance. And Jesus was called to do the same. Now, this is where the difference happens between Jonah and Jesus. Jonah boards a ship and says, I, I, I ain't doing it. Jesus says, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Today, we're going to get to our will as God is pursuing us. We're going to see if we're willing to put down our will for the will of the Lord. And this is what happens when the call of God on our lives does not match our personality. I am an introvert. Why would you call me to people? That's a serious question. I'm fine with the sheep. Bad. Hey, we good. We get along real good. Why in the world are you calling me out to outside of the pasture? I'm comfortable right here. I'm an extrovert, God. Why would you call me to solitude? It don't make no sense to me. Don't you know my personality? You made me. Can't we just agree on something that I can do to where I can be comfortable while it is that I'm doing it? And the Lord says, no. When I call you, I'm not asking for your permission. I'm not asking you to write down your request. I am the creator of all, and you will do what I tell you to do, whether you like it or not. Baby, you can do it the easy way, or we can go about this the hard way. It's up to you. I got all of eternity. What do you do when God calls you to something that does not fit your personality? That you got the power to do because you have the Holy Spirit within you. But you don't have the personality to do. The Lord said, these are times that I want to show myself mighty in you. What you consider to be your weak place, God said, that's a real good place for me to use you because you can recognize that it ain't you, it's me. That's what I want to show out. At. I want to show out in the place in your life where you know it ain't you so that none of the glory will go to you, but all of the glory will go to my name. God wants to use you in that place. Say that out loud. God wants to use me in that place. Jonah is supposed to go to a wicked city and cry aloud. He's supposed to go to a city that hates Israel, that hates the people of God. And this is what Jonah knew. Jonah knows I hate these people. I do not want to go to them. And if I do go to them, they're going to repent and you're going to forgive them. And I don't want God to save my ex. <laughs> I don't for real want God to save my hater. Let him rot in hell. I don't really want God to save them. So God, why are you sending me to a people I don't even like? Just let them go to hell. I'm still talking to the church. We ain't said go to hell out loud, but we didn't say go to hell in our actions. I ain't ministering to them. Mm -mm, that devil, that devil lied. I refuse. <laughs> he does not want to minister to them for the sole purpose of knowing that if they repent, God will forgive them. Now, this is what you've got to understand about Nineveh. It was a wealthy city. It was a metropolis of the Assyrian monarchy. And yet God looks at them and says, you are under my judgment. It matters not how big you are, how powerful of a nation you are. It matters not how much stuff you have. Understand that you are always under the thumb of the creator. Even if you don't believe in God, you're going to have to answer to God. Even if you consider yourself to be an atheist or agnostic, you're going to have to answer to God. So when God sends a prophet to you, it would behoove you to hear the word of the prophet because whether you believe God or not, you are under the judgment of God. The Bible says that the wickedness of the Assyrian people had begun to be so intense that it reached heaven. Do you know sin stinks? It reached the nostrils. 
what is that? What is that smell? God says, I've got to do something about it. I've got to handle it because I love, but yet I'm holy. And because I'm holy, I've got to do something about what I hate. And so I've got to render judgment, but I'm not going to render judgment because I love until I offer them an opportunity to repent. Church, you ought to get happy right there. Lord, I thank you that you could have given me judgment when I was in the middle of a cesspool of sin. But instead, you said, I see Stacy. I see she messed up. She know better. She's tore up from the flow up. I could judge her right now, but I'm going to send a prophet to speak a word into her life. And then she'll just repent. And she'll just turn from her wicked ways. I'll deliver her and then use her to deliver somebody else. Who wouldn't serve a God like this? Who wouldn't worship a God like this? God is pursuing you. And as God is pursuing the prophet, notice that a getaway ship is real convenient. It is conveniently present. It just happens to be ready to go. You ever found that, sis? I know the Lord is calling me here, but this is real convenient right now. So I'm just going to stay with this when I'm supposed to go with that. But this is real convenient. Some of us are in some convenient relationships right now. You know that ain't what God called you to. You just real comfortable. I'm looking at every eyeball I can get to. You know goodness well that ain't what God called you to. You did, it was convenient. You paid the fare and you got on it. The ready way ain't always the right way. Just because it's ready don't mean it's right. Picture the prophet <laughs> taking the money out of his pocket. Oh, yeah, I see a way out of this paying his fare and getting on the ship away from the will of God. And it seems as if they are making really good headway. It seems as if it's successful, right? How you know it's successful? What we do when we at peace with something? We go to sleep. What the prophet do? He went to the belly of the shit and your boy is knocked out. He's so knocked out that the Bible says when the Lord hurls a storm at the ship, he's still sleeping. Who's sleeping here and it's a storm all around you? That's why God's sitting a big mouth to you to wake you up. You're sleeping at a time where you're supposed to be praying. And the storm didn't come for nobody else but for you. Layla, I'm sorry. I told you I was going to act right. The storm didn't come for nobody else but for you. And you sleep. Everybody else is calling on their false gods. Save us, save us, deliver us, deliver us. Everybody else is crying out. They're crying out to self-help books and they're crying out to Baal and they're crying out to Buddha and ain't nothing happening because they all dead. None of them got eyes. None of them got ears. Can't nobody else answer because none of the gods that they're calling on is a living God. But the one who does serve the living God is asleep in the belly of the ship where you at sleeping. God is about to come and wake you. God is about to come and shake you. God is waking you for such a time as this. The captain of the ship goes and wait. Boy, what you doing sleep? This is Bible. Get up. Panic with the rest of us. We know something about panicking, don't we, ladies? Panic? What? It's something about when we panicking, who's married? And our husbands be just as chill. <laughs> Why aren't you upset? I'm so upset. That would really bother me. How is it that you just let everything roll off your back? Didn't make, you're just supposed to be just upset. We like it when people panic with us. But the problem <laughs> says... <laughs> But the prophet ain't panicking. Why come he ain't panicking? Because he knows that this is about him. I'm the cause of the problem. 
Who's willing to say that? Not near sister ever. I am the cause of the problem. Baby, we will turn around some words. I'm going to holler at the brothers for a minute. I'm going to give you a clue. Because we have the gift of language. We'll turn some words around, baby. <laughs> You'll be thinking you're wrong. By the time we finish, you're going to go to God and ask God to forgive you when the whole time it's us. It was never you. But we got to get the words. So here we are. Turn and say, oh, the ladies don't want to say nothing. I'm telling our secrets. <laughs> you started out thinking you was right, but by the time you finish, oh, God, forgive me. I must need to be a better husband. I didn't really realize I was doing all that wrong. And we sitting over in the corner. <laughs> God, please don't hurl another storm over this way. Just let me, God, just let me go on with this. Jonah recognizes this whole storm is about me. It's my fault. It's God pursuing me. So if you want the storm to stop, you only got one choice. And that choice is to throw me. Throw me overboard. The only thing that's going to stop this divine intervention is if you throw me over. God is pursuing me and he ain't going to stop till he gets me. Everything else will be wrecked around me if you don't throw me. Throw me overboard. They didn't want to do it. They ain't like us because we'd be like, I ain't then. <laughs> Sinners acted better than us because had we been on that boat, and the storm had been hurled. And somebody said, it's because of me. Oh, yeah. All right, then. <laughs> you ain't got to ask me twice. I want to live. They were more sanctified than us. And they were polytheistic people. They didn't know God. After they recognized, we got to do what the man of God tells us to do. They throw the prophet overboard. And all of a sudden, there is peace. The ship that was about to be broken into pieces is now at peace. But the prophet ain't. Because God ain't stopped pursuing you. Because you may be in the water, but you ain't in Nineveh where I called you to. Why I keep coming over here? You may be in the water. But you ain't in Nineveh. So you think that maybe just because you're there that God has punished you, that that's the end of the matter. But God ain't interested in punishing you. God is interested in pursuing you. Did you hear what I said to you? You think that it stops at the punishment. God ain't interested in punishing you. He wants to pursue you. In other words, there is a place that God is calling you to be, and he ain't going to stop till he gets you. His body hits the water. Can you picture it? He's being tossed to and fro. <sighs> you ever had a near-death experience and it seems as if your whole life flashes before you and he's in the water thinking, God, is it going to end like this? Is this going to be the end of it? Is it going to be over? Am I going to die like this? Am I going to die in this dark water? God, what are you going to do? And it seems as if the last minute, all of a sudden, he sees something that is more frightening than what he's ever seen in his life. There is a great, massive, mysterious beast that comes toward him. And it's not the grim reaper. It's not something to kill him. It's something that the Bible says God prepared for him. God will make preparation when it comes to pursuing you. This is not an aha moment for God. God, the Bible says, did y'all read it? Prepared this great fish. In order for it to be a great fish means that it had lived for a long time. In other words, the lot of God allowed this particular fish to live to be such a great age for the purpose of pursuing his prophet. It was born to capture the prophet. It had been prepared from the beginning to capture the prophet. He enters the mouth of the fish, goes through the small opening to get to the stomach of the fish. It seems as if he's where he's going to die, right? But I believe that the Lord allows this to happen for the purpose of artificial respiration. When it squeezes, 
his belly pushes up on his lungs, pushes the water out of his mouth, and all of a sudden, what I thought was going to kill me, now I can breathe. God did not send this thing to kill me. God sent this thing to bring me back to life. It's just holding me until I can get to my right mind and have to call on the name of the Lord. God ain't trying to kill you. I told you he ain't trying to punish you. He's trying to pursue you. The prophet can breathe in the belly of the fish. Smelly in there. Smells a whole lot like what the Lord smelled when the Lord smelled Nineveh. Now the prophet smells just as smelly as Nineveh. God to show you, baby, that your stuff stink too. That if it wasn't for the grace of God, if it wasn't for his power inside of you, but for the grace of God, there go I. You'd be just like the warlock and the witch, baby. I know you don't want to admit it, but you would be the drug addict. You would be the homeless person. You would be the one trying to figure out what their name is. If it was not for the grace of God, you'd be just like the world. Don't ever get so caught up in yourself that you forget who it was that made you. How you look now, Jonah? I look a whole lot like Nineveh. He's in the belly of the fish. Smelly. It's dead stuff all around him. Can you imagine that? It's dark. It's smelly. I can smell half-digested stuff in this belly. He reaches up to pull himself up on the inside of the belly of the fish, and he feels it. Can you imagine what that felt like to feel the inside of a fish? I don't even like cutting one open. Can you imagine what it feels like to feel the and you on the inside of it? He's got seaweed wrapped all around him trying to pull it. Stuff is getting in his mouth. God is showing him what state he would be in if it had not been for the Lord on his side. He's there in a smelly place, a deplorable place. He went from the preacher to the prophet to now a smelly thing with dead stuff all around him. God has him in a place of holding. God prepared an underwater incarceration. God prepared a prison just for him. Singled him out. What nobody else in the prison but him. Everything else inside of there was dead. This is what God wants to show you. Some people went through the same thing that you went through and they did not live to tell the story. You got to know when to give God praise. Some people have suffered what you suffered, and yet here you are, clothed and in your right mind, and too cute to give God a praise. Some people went through the stuff you went through, and they can't say hallelujah. They can't say thank you, Jesus. They're somewhat strung out on drugs, and here you are, clothed and in your right mind. Got the nerve to be preaching. Got the nerve to be singing. Got the nerve to be dancing. Got the nerve to be clapping somebody didn't make it through what you went through you don't have a right to be said diddy you don't have a right to be fancy oh god if i could kick these heels off when i think of the goodness of jesus oh my god and all that he's done that he's done that he's done that he's done that he kept me from he delivered me from my soul cries out, hallelujah. God, I thank you for delivering me from a smelly place, for delivering me from a place of carcass, for delivering me from a place that was stench in your nostrils. God, I thank you. It's here while he's in this underwater incarceration that the prophet decides, I'm going to make this place a place of prayer. Where you at? How long you been in? You still allowing it to be a place of frustration? 
You still having a pity party there? You still complaining there? What you doing there, boo? You, you trying to fix your hair and your nails in there? You got some fresh weave in there? What you doing there? What are you creating that place to be? Is it a salon? What is it? What have you created that place to be? Is it a place where you complain? You call three and four of your girls and, and you fuss about where you are? What have you allowed the place that God is holding you to become? Because you're going to stay there until that place becomes a place of prayer. Oh, God's going to get a thank you out of you. God's going to get a forgive me out of you. God's going to get a hallelujah out of you. And until you do, you're going to be right. The prophet is in the... I want to show you his prayer. Y'all want to hear it? The Lord knows how to humble us. He humbles the man of God. This is what the prophet says to the Lord. You ready for this? The prophet says... Chapter 2, from the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the current swirled about me. All your waves, he says, your waves, this wasn't something that the devil did, God did this. And your waves and breakers swept over me. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. For three days and three nights, Jonah was in the belly of the fish. The fish had taken him to the very depths of the ocean. Sometimes God has to make us realize that rock bottom got a basement. And until we recognize that rock bottom got a basement, we'll stay right where we are in the same condition that we're in. You'll cry out when you get to your lowest and your deepest. Can I get a witness? Oh, y'all ain't been through nothing. It's when you recognize that rock bottom got a basement that you know, Jesus. <laughs> now, Jesus, if thou be the son of God, Lord, you'll learn how to cry out when you recognize that rock bottom got a basement. It wasn't until he hit rock bottom that the Bible lets us know the Lord spake to the fish, which means the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. So the same God who commanded the fish to pick up Jonah is the same God who commanded the fish to vomit up. I hate vomit. You vomit, I'm vomiting. I mean, I can't pick up my dog's vomit. Bay, sees it, I'm vomiting. Because it's something about vomit. If you've ever vomited, you know that it ain't never just one thing that came up. It ain't just what made you sick that night. It ain't that bad shrimp. But it's everything else you ate in them 24 hours is coming up with you. So can you imagine... Him being vomited up, and he's the only thing living that comes out of the mouth of the fish. He's been in there three days and three nights. So his skin and his hair is bleached by the acids of the fish. He's stinking, he's smelly, and yet this is how God chooses to deliver the prophet. He doesn't deliver him in a pretty way. He delivers him in a way that everybody can see what he's been through. Everybody can see his disobedience. Everybody can, we don't like that, God. I don't like that. Don't let everybody see what happened to me. Don't let everybody see my mistakes. Don't let everybody see what Stacy did. We don't like that. Oh, but God, I thank you that you'll deliver me by any means necessary. You'll deliver me even if I don't like the way it is I'm being delivered. Drops him off. <laughs> we at Nineveh now. <laughs> we where the Lord told us to be now. And he doesn't come in with a two-piece suit. 
God got more glory out of him looking a fool than God ever would have got glory out of him in a two-piece suit. Sometimes people need to see that you preaching to me, but you've been where I've been. I can receive you a whole lot better if I know you done been through some hell too. I got a hard time being able to relate to somebody that ain't been through nothing. You got to go through a little something. If I'm to believe that God can do it for me, then I can have to see that God did it for you. So sometimes God will allow our stink to show. <laughs> He's looking real crazy. Shows up in Nineveh. The crazy looking preacher. We say we don't look like what we've been through, but he looked like everything he'd been through. He couldn't dress it up if he wanted to. That stink had to have stayed on him for all kind of days thereafter. It wasn't nothing he could do about it, but it made him believable. Everyone who saw that, wait a minute, you lived through this? What you're saying has got to be the truth. You made it through this. God saved you through this. God has to have something to say through you to me. Wait a minute. God actually delivered you? So they can believe what he says because they can smell how he smells. Oh my. God can use anything. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? He uses a crazy looking preacher. And the Bible says in chapter 3, we got a repeat of chapter 1. The Bible says that the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time saying, <laughs> go and preach to that great city and proclaim to it the message that I give to you. Cry out against it. Give it the message that I proclaim to you. He doesn't even give them the specifics like he did the first time. It seems as if he has less revelation this time. But nonetheless, he brings him to the place where he is going to speak a word, a word of power, speak a word of judgment, declare what thus saith the Lord, and these wicked people are to at least attempt to hear the word and to respond. Now, Jonah learned the hard way. And he did not hesitate. The Bible says he began to enter into the city. He enters into the city. And the Bible says in verses 3 and 4 that Nineveh was so large it took three days to go through it. It should have been a three-day revival. Why are we famous for three-day revivals? I guess it's because Jesus rose on the third day. <laughs> we got to think about it. Is that just a black church? I don't know. Is it? I'm not serious. We gotta, we're going to do a three-day. What is it? About? It's got to be, now that I'm thinking about it. It's because Jesus rose on the third day. So you would expect it to be a three-day revival. But we see that scripture don't need three days. Because the city would have taken three days to walk through it. And yet the Lord says this happened in one day. It says, on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. He didn't have a mic. Revival hits in day one. 
everyone immediately repents. He preaches in the city. And the Bible says, verse 5, so the people of Nineveh believed God. Repentance began with believing God. You will never have revival without repentance. It don't matter how much somebody hoops. It matters not how much somebody attempts to decree the word of the Lord with power. If there is no repentance, there will be no revival. If you don't change, ain't nothing else going to change. I don't care how good they play on the organ, if they got a hymen, whatever it is, baby, there will be no revival if there is no repentance. Hear what I'm saying to you. There will be no revival. Can these dead bones live? Yes, if they repent. There's no revival without repentance. And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they are sent? Repentance. Revival cannot happen without repentance. And repentance begins with hearing the word of God. And y'all hear it. Can't nobody preach like my brother. I don't care what nobody say. That's a bad man right there. What are you doing with the word that you hear week in and week out? The preacher's here. The bishop's here. Y'all got the word. What are you doing? Preach, bishop. Oh, yeah. You know you saying what the Lord, oh, yes. And go right back home to the same stench. What are you doing with all this work? It's kind of like somebody throwing jewels and treasure at you. And you just, they're making the way for you. They're, they're opening up the door. They're making the path straight for you. And you just stand just comfortable. You have the word. What are you doing with the word that you are hearing? The Bible says that these so-called wicked people responded from the greatest to the least. The Bible says they declared a fast. They put on burlap to show their sorrow. Guess what? Even the king got involved. But they wicked. Sometimes wicked people have more sense than church people. Because we so self-righteous, what could we possibly have to repent for? <laughs> I mean, I'm third generation apostolic. What could I possibly have to repent for? Sometimes it takes a wicked person, a sinful person, to recognize what sin is. We can become so self-righteous that we won't see sin if it was attached to us. They repented from the greatest to the least. Here's what the king said. He said, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes, dressed himself in burlap, sat on a heap of ashes. The king decreed no one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. Repentance is also doing something. When you turn, you'll watch God turn. We know that God is immutable. That's a fancy word for, that says God cannot change. His holiness does not change. His righteousness does not change. His love does not change. But God will turn his plans when he sees a turn in your heart. This is why David says, renew in me. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. God wants to see, a you want things to turn around? Late in the midnight hour, God's gonna, we get so happy. And you know, we get real excited. And around, and around, and around, ain't turns nothing. We ain't take, everything's the same. We ain't turned nothing but our bodies. <laughs> Still in sin and around, we just got dizzy. That's all we did. Ain't nothing changed because ain't nothing turned in your heart. Ain't nothing turned in your mind. Ain't nothing your behavior you just turn in your body and yet you want God to turn for you God will turn when you turn 
God will shift when you shift. God's going to move when you move. When he sees the people of Nineveh respond to the word of the Lord. The Bible says they cried mightily to God. But wait a minute, you wicked, how you know how to pray? Who taught you how to pray? How you know? You pray better than the seasoned folk. Let me tell you how you learn how to pray real quick, fast, and in a hurry. When you realize you're in danger. Everybody, it don't matter what you've done, how low you have gone. When you recognize that you are in danger, you'll quickly cry mightily to God. You can be the thuggiest thug and let yourself realize this is the problem. We don't know we're in danger. We're so comfortable. Our little chairs are padded. I can walk in these heels because the carpet so nice and comfy. I can dance a little bit. It ain't like, you know, in the old days when you hurt yourself, you had to take your stuff off. No, I can't even dance. We're so comfortable. We're so comfortable. But when we get to the place where we recognize it don't matter how comfortable things are, my soul is in danger, I'll then learn how to pray. Ain't nobody got to teach me when I realize that there is a hell that is waiting for me. The Bible says has widened her mouth. And it ain't that God made it for me. Because God didn't make hell for me. And God did not make hell for you. God made hell for Satan and his demons. But if we refuse him, then we'll go with the ones who refused him in the beginning. God did not create a hell for me. But the moment I don't recognize I'm in danger, and there's some of us in here right now, you don't even know you're in danger. You have no idea what Satan is attempting to do in you. That he's attempting to set up a resident in your heart. You have no idea that he's trying to take your very soul. You worried about your stuff, your house, and your car. No, the enemy wants your soul. And if you recognize that you're in danger, then you begin to cry out to God for mercy. Have mercy on me. For the king says, who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. In other words, he recognizes, wait a minute, if we make a change, if God is doing this because I'm wicked and I make a change and I attempt to Turn toward God if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, watch, and turn from their wicked ways. If I turn, then perhaps God will turn on my behalf. And God did just that. And it was the prophet's worst fear. Some of y'all don't want certain folk in here with y'all. You won't even tell them what church you go to in fear that they might come and visit. He's angry. He's mad. And yet, the Lord Jesus himself uses this story. He loved preaching about Jonah too. You want to see? You ready? Luke chapter 11, verse 30. This is what Jesus said. He said, what happened to Jonah was a sign to the people of Nineveh that God had sent him. What happens to the Son of Man will be a sign to these people that he was sent by God. So Jonah's bleached skin and Jonah's smelly body was a sign that God had delivered him from death. Jesus' pierced body and his pierced hands was a sign to let the world know that I have been delivered and not just delivered, I swallowed up death, hell, and the grave. I rose with all power in my hands. It was the sign that doubting Thomas needed. I needed to touch your hands and see. I needed to see if this is you or not. Can I touch your side, baby? I need to touch your Let me put my hand in there. This is a sign to let them know that what I have done on the cross has 
no more punishment has to take place. This is it. While you were yet sinners, when you were acting like Assyrians, when you were acting like the Ninevites, while you were yet sinners, Christ died. He died. He died. But I'm so glad he didn't have to be vomited up. He rose on the third day with all power in heaven and in earth in his hands. This is what we're reading. We're reading a story about grace and mercy. You thought it was about a miracle of a fish. No, this is God pursuing. God is pursuing the rebellious prophet. God is pursuing. He was pursuing the sailors on the ship. God is pursuing. He was pursuing a wicked king. God is pursuing. He was pursuing a wicked people. This is what the 66 books of your Bible is all about. It's about grace and it's about mercy. God is pursuing you. He sees you where you are and he wants you back. He said you're falling away from your first love and I refuse to let you stay that way. I will pursue you. I'm coming after you. If I gotta prepare a situation to hold you, even if it's a pig's pen, oink, oink, oink all day, you gonna stay there till you come to your right mind. Go back to your father's house and say, if I could just be a servant, that's what I'll do. He's pursuing you. He's pursuing you. He's pursuing you. He's letting you know you don't have to stay like this, my brother. You don't have to stay like this, my sister. There's more for you. I have destiny in you. I place gifts in you. There's an anointing on your life. You can't stay there. The world needs you. There's a generation that's dying. They don't know they're in danger. God is calling you. I know you want to be comfortable, but God is shaking you right now. Don't make them throw you overboard. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. He who hath an ear, let him hear. Let him hear. Now is the time. Right now. Don't let it be said too late. Do you not know that the Lord is soon to come? We are in the end times. The signs of the times are all around us. We see wars and rumors of wars. Destruction is on its way. We see son against daughter, mother against daughter, daughter against mother. Earthquakes in diverse places. We see men lovers of themselves. Destruction is on the way. Who wants to be saved? Who wants to be delivered? Who wants to see heaven? Who wants to see their savior? Are you so comfortable? You don't even know you're in danger. 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 I know you want me to preach about houses and cars and a husband and a wife, but I came to shout danger, danger, danger. Your soul is in danger. And there's a whole household that's depending on you. The king decreed a fast for every inhabitant. You have the power within you to set things right in your household. Because why would I be saved? And not what my family saved. If it ain't me that's in danger, then let me see that my children are in danger. If it ain't a matter of my salvation, let me see that it's a matter of my children's salvation. Everyone come to this altar. We're going to cry out to God. We're going to cry out to him.
We're going to cry out to him. Oh, y'all too quiet. Maybe it's the seaweed wrapped around your mouth. Maybe that's what it is. You're too quiet. You're too quiet. Maybe it's the seaweed. You inside of something. And it's dark right there. It's unfamiliar territory. It's a dark place. I get it. I've been there. You're uncomfortable. And guess what? You're supposed to be. God did not prepare this situation to swallow you so that you could take a nap, so that people could like you, so that people could agree with you. God has you in this place to get your attention. God has you in this place to wake you up. God has you in this place so that others may be saved alive. There's a generation, your nieces, your nephews, your sons and your daughters will be able to call on the name of the Lord. If they gonna call, you gotta call. If they gonna submit, you first gotta submit. If they gonna surrender, you gotta surrender. Come out with your hands up. Come out with your hands up. Come out with your hands up. It's me, oh Lord. It's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of surrender. I'm sorry, God, for going my own way. I'm sorry, God, for trying to stay comfortable. I'm sorry, God, for trying to appease people. I'm sorry, God, for telling you my opinion. Oh, God, now my prayer is, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Have your way in me. Use me however, however you see fit. Use me to preach your word. Use me to teach your word. Use me to show others the way. Use me as a light in darkness. Use me, oh God, as a city set up on a hill. Use me, oh God, to show transgressors the way to you. Use us, oh God. Here we are. Here we are. We feel like what we've been through. We look like what we've been through. We suffered some hell, but it's all been for heaven. We suffered some hell, but it's all been for heaven for the sake of the glory of your name. Be glorified. Be glorified. Be glorified. Bring the spirit of repentance. Bring the spirit of repentance. Bring the heart of repentance. In the name of Jesus, let us recognize that lust has got to die. Let us recognize that dishonesty has got to die. Let us recognize that a lack of integrity has got to die. Let us recognize that our will has got to die. Let us see the danger and doing it our way. We will not be a Frank Sinatra. We will not die having said, I did it my way. My testimony will be, God, I did it your way. I did it your way when it hurt. I did it your way when it didn't feel good. I did it your way when I lost friends. I did it your way. I did it your way. I'm doing it your way. Don't stop pursuing me. Don't take your hand over me. Don't take your hand over me. Don't take your hand over me. Oh God, I thank you for preparing, preparing situations to hold me until I was able to come to my right mind. I thank you, Lord. You kept me from danger seen and unseen. What could have killed me could not have its way. Even the enemy that came to steal, kill and destroy, it was on a leash 
could only go so far. You kept me when I didn't want to be kept. You kept me when I wanted to do it my way. You kept me and you're keeping me. You held me and you're holding me. You saved me and you're saving me. You sanctified me and you're sanctifying me. And one day, oh God, I'll be glorified with you. Oh God, pursue your sons. Keep pursuing your daughters. Keep pursuing your people. In the name of Jesus.